1: It's the Entitled Banter podcast, but it's not Jules Gill. It's Josh Brown.
2: Hello, Scott Selfish. Hello,
1: actually in person, diving in last minute because Jules has got some bad gas. Uh, is this a euphemism it's, uh, it might be You might actually have some, some personal bad gas but he's definitely got some um, external bad gas because the man's getting some work done on his house so Mr. Josh Brown I, I called on him I said can you fill a slot please sir and you said I'd love to do
2: that Scott I really do love to do this podcast when Jules is uh, busy with well, he's his got bad, bad gas, gas when he's got yeah. bad gas specifically so Gassy thank man. you so much for having me on and I apologise because this was so last minute I've not actually woken my mouth up which sounds <laughs> weird but it's all claggy it's not good and I That's the last time I'll talk about it.
1: He's a claggy-mouthed man, but um, yeah, the entire Battle Podcast is always where we take people's questions, talking points, whatever they've got going on in the gaming industry, and try and get through as many questions as possible. So obvious apologies for people who submitted questions thinking they would be for me and Jules, but it'll all be good anyway. So we'll get through as many as we can. First question from Jack Asbury, who says, when is anime going to get its Batman Arkham Asylum moment? Also, any recommendations for GameCube and Wii games? Metroid Prime was on the list, but not anymore after the direct. Um, I assume the Arkham Asylum moment is the, like, holy S, something comes out of nowhere and blows everybody away. Um, And as someone who's been playing a hell of a lot of Demon Slayer, um, it's not an an Arkham Asylum moment, but the Demon Slayer game is infinitely better than I think anyone realises it is.
2: This is what I was going to ask you. Has this not already happened? You know Mm. I'm not in the anime circle as much (laughs) as you are, but I was looking at the footage that you put up of Demon Slayer the other night, and to me that looked unreal. It looked excellent. It looked like probably what I imagine I would want if I was into Demon Slayer, but has it not reached (laughs) that same breakthrough bit of quality that Arkham mm. Asylum did for superhero games and specifically Batman games. I
1: think that's the thing. The Demon Slayer game is animated beautifully. If you get it on PS5 or Series X or whatever, it has that whole 4K60 thing going on. The scene you're referring to is like when you do, because uh, it's an arena fighter. Um, so like whenever you do like a certain finisher, one of your ultimate arts, they, the camera just you know cuts away. You get these really gorgeous cinematic style finishes, which just look unbelievable. Um, yeah, if you check my Twitter, I've got the one up there from Uzui from season two. And it's just, yeah, it's one of those things where, like, it's so, it's just so enjoyable. I've loved that game. And the multiplayer is really fun and everything. And the story is really good. I just feel, well, because it just recreates the show itself. But I feel like the Arkham Asylum moment was like, I don't know. It's like there's a more of a story component to that where it's like genuinely surprising. Um, when I tweeted that thing, that clip from Demon Slayer, um, I forget who replied saying like why do we not get more like spin-off titles attached to these franchises? They're always just retelling the same story from the anime. Right. It's like Dragon Ball. Every single Dragon Ball game is just the same story every single time. Um, something like Kakarot lets you spin off that a little bit but you're still mostly just following the the story. So I wonder if that's what it is where Arkham Asylum was such a fully formed thing like on the side. It is Batman but it's its own story. It's pulling from certain comics but it is kind of its own thing maybe that's what we need.
2: Well I mean like I said as someone who's not necessarily into specific anime but Mm. really enjoys the anime aesthetic like when I think about anime and video games it's stuff not tied to uh, an adaptation, it's stuff like just heavily inspired by it like Nier Automata or Catherine or whatever it is, you know it's stuff that's very indebted to the style and very indebted to uh, you know the tropes and whatnot, Mm. but isn't necessarily tied to a specific brand Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so my question is is there uh, there an issue that you couldn't do an Arkham Asylum type game with a specific uh, property Mm -hmm. because people would be expecting to see those specific characters in Mm. a certain way or certain plot points repeated. Like for as much as you were just talking there about Dragon Ball, you know, just repeating the story of Dragon Ball in every single game. When they didn't do that in Dragon Ball Fighters. It was weird. That's a good point. And I, as a as a casual Dragon Ball fan, didn't like it, and <laughs> I was just sat there thinking, I kind of just wish this was, uh, you know, the, God, the, I... the anime brought uh, over to video game form yet again. But that is, you know, annoying. Sometimes. I know.
1: I never. I forget the fighter, fighters, fighter Z, whatever, had a story mode. Like I forgot about that whole thing with the like the weird spirit that goes into different characters and yeah, I thought of all that stuff. Um yeah, I guess that would be something where they did sort of deviate from the source material. But yeah, I mean for me, like there are phenomenal anime games. Or like you said, anime infused games like Nier or Catherine or Persona to be honest. Like yeah. I mean especially the art style in four and five or three, four and five, um, that really start to stand out. So yeah, I just feel like I know what he means, but at the same time it's hard putting a point like putting a pin on a specific game as like this is anime's Arkham Asylum moment because the overall bar is very high. I will say though that right now, like anime games have gotten so good um like Hakara or like Z, or like Demon Slayer um, but the animation is just sky high, like the, that whole Demon Slayer game just recreates the anime and like just makes those scenes 3D and then you play those fights and whatever and it just looks like you're playing the show, it's it's perfect, like um, I absolutely love it, I mean I'm gorging on Demon Slayer at the minute looking forward to season 3 um, so I'll shout that out. Next question from Brandon Bresman, who says, hope we got, I hope that we are doing well, do we think gaming will ever return to the fun social experience it was with Halo 2 and Call of Duty 4 or are we doomed to forever be stuck in Silent Lobby he's constantly rushed (laughs) back to the main menu after a match
2: (laughs) (laughs) well here's the thing right and I think I might have mentioned this before but I'm very nervous I'm very nervous around people who I don't know Okay, and that translates to online lobbies so even in the heyday Mm. of classic Halo and COD specifically you know COD Modern Warfare COD Modern Warfare Mm 2 when people talk about like these talkative lobbies and stuff I was always too scared to go in them I I was never on mic talking and I would (laughs) mute everyone so for me personally Personally, this new era of being able to mute everyone instantly and not have to listen to anyone talk yeah. is like my dream come true. Oh, okay. and I realise I'm very much an anomaly there because I was just scared of getting bullied.
1: Well, the thing is, like, it's, uh, the thing is, there was there just was so much toxic, absolutely awful stuff said. Like, that's just the reality of people being online, yelling at each other when they're full of uh, video game adrenaline or whatever, or just or just hate in <laughs> some places. But um, but yeah, I'm I the thing that I get the pressman's getting at, which I do remember, especially from Halo Two, was like everyone would talk to each other before the match maybe you would just slag off the person on the other team oh, you guys suck oh F you and then like after the match you'd like maybe someone who killed you five times over you then you'd get like that sort of two minutes in the lobby with them where you can be like hey demon killer three you suck and like I I love that stuff I love the thing you could do in um, Sp- Sal Pandora tomorrow where if you were playing as a spy and you could get someone in a chokehold and it would open the mic up between you and the player Yeah. so you could grab someone and be like F you F you F you and then kill them and then you would go and do something else and I love that stuff Um, I love all that taunting and everything it was just oh it it's just impossible to make it genuinely friendly or done yes. in, in, in good spirits or whatever. Like I was always having fun with it. I always like liken game fandoms to sports teams, anyway, um, and rooting for your team or rooting for a dev or whatever. So it's fun like that. Same way you might go to, like a football match. A, um, what, what else couldn't what you call it American football? Some sort of sporting event yeah. and cheer for your team and be like, hey, those guys suck. They support those guys. But obviously, it tipped over into just full on horrible stuff, of which course. is why all of that stuff went away.
2: And I do think that's also. In di- well, that's also led to the rise of you know Twitch communities and Discord servers. Yeah. I don't necessarily partake in those communities Same. again because I don't I don't want to talk to anyone and I'm scared <laughs> about what they'll think of me. Uh, but I think like those spaces have become. Uh, not always, but more reliable spaces mm. uh, where you know it's hopefully going to be a more welcoming community. It's going to be a more, uh, you know, progressive space. It's not going to have that toxic element. Hopefully, again, yeah, this is yeah, ideally yeah. much more reliably so than just jumping on, uh, you know, Call of Duty Modern Welfare 2 and just being just just having, like, the <laughs> worst crap imaginable thrown at you when you don't want to hear it. You didn't sign up for that. I think, like, those other spaces that are there now, you kind of facilitate that kind of community Mm. uh, feel in that kind of more friendly atmosphere, hopefully, where you can get those moments where you know you're you're playing a Battlefield game, you're playing Mm. a Call of Duty game and you find random teammates who, uh, you know, make that a memorable experience because you're having fun with strangers, you're getting to know them, you're having a fun time, you don't feel intimidated or you don't Mm. feel under pressure or anything like that. I think,
1: yeah, it's like early Xbox Live was like way before forums had admins, when it was just like everyone's just saying whatever and it's just this weird mess of everything and then obviously curation comes in over time which is for the betterment of the vast majority of people playing um, I do like I said I have like a fondness for those early days of Xbox Live because for me like as much as like people would you know have a go at each other and whatever that was drastically overshadowed by the amount of teamwork that happened where it was just, you were in a team match in Halo 2 on Blood Gulch and everyone would talk to each other like you defend this you stay here I'm going to go around the side you do this and like I, you just dive in there and if you started talking people would talk back and it, it, it just worked for a while there was like there was a for me there was a real beauty to early Xbox Live, specifically Halo 2 and Splinter the Cell Pandora Tomorrow, those were definitely my first two, right. uh, where people did just talk to each other and it worked, and if someone was being an a-hole then everyone would just block them or mute right. them but it was just that one person, it was only over time when it became like, literally everyone sucks or mute everyone, or someone's playing music in the background or yelling at their mum, or whatever it is.
2: That's it, like when I think about those early so-called glory days yeah. I don't think of anyone kind of like yelling at each other or even the teamwork for me, must have been like the lobbies I was in, maybe they mm. were like European lobbies, right. but from all I can remember of the team chat, it was mostly just people like playing new monkey rave down the <laughs> microphone. And like you said, yelling at their mams when it was tea time. Like it wasn't even like, didn't even get to the point where they were yelling at each other. It was just like people it was like being on a bus with someone where they're yeah. playing music out their phone and that was never fun to me. Oh
1: my God. I'm just thinking everybody around the world trying to go- please Google new monkey rave and, uh, and be introduced to that style of music yes. that a lot of us uh, had in the UK across the 2000s or at least we did in the Northeast anyway. Um, but yeah, overall, no, I don't think you'll get a return to the everybody talking to everybody else thing because the curation just has led to a, much, uh, just a, a more pleasant time online um, which just is a better way to go overall. Although uh, maybe there's some way to do some sort of more constructive way to bring people together and give them more team goals or something. This wasn't the
2: question, man, but I think Mm. I'm a freak. I think (laughs) I'm just like an anomaly in totality because even when I'm playing like Call of Duty which I love and play yes, often or Battlefield do. or whatever they're, they're, even in the team games I don't even like talking to my friends if we're playing <laughs> Call of Duty together we might as well be playing different games and I also don't really like playing split screen either the only time I like having a team is in something like Warzone right. where you really need the teamwork or Rainbow Six Siege where mm-hmm. you really need the teamwork otherwise it's quite nice to yeah. just be in the same game together but I'm thinking what am I getting out of this I'm well, tell you what. real social social battery here to Uh talk to you, but we're not actually, it's not needed.
1: To be fair though, that whole thing of, I just want to be part of a group without necessarily being vocal about It's almost like when you're at a house party, there's a house party happening, but you're sort of sitting in the corner a little bit, maybe with a couple of your friends, but not the entire group or something. And you get, you get to have that thing is happening around me energy, which is sometimes quite nice.
2: I don't smoke, right? But I love smoke breaks. And yet he is on fire (laughs) every now and then. (laughs) And I love it because it means when you're at a house party, you can kind of like go outside with mm. someone who is smoking, have a chat with them. And it is comforting just knowing stuff is happening yeah. around you. And I do like that. I there do needs like to be a, a word lot. for
1: that. I'm definitely calling on people from different countries and stuff because I know obviously there are specific terms from different countries for certain feelings that we don't really have something in the English language for that feeling. There's mm. got to be a term for that, that almost tranquil nature of, like when you're outside a club for a bit and you just go out and you can hear the music, you can hear the, there's this humanity happening inside. But I'm just taking a minute. I'm just out over here for a bit. Um, there's, there is, quite, there is a, a, a nice feeling to that. Um, but anyway, yeah, I, uh, I imagine for online Discord stuff, I've not talked online in forever. Like, I used to just dive in and talk, and people would just talk back. Um, but I haven't done that in a long time. Next question from Honest NPC. What are our thoughts on the massacre of live services, and how will the industry react going forward? I think one factor is how difficult it is to jump in uh, jump into any game as a newcomer, a problem that, that I'm facing in Destiny 2. Um, yeah, I remember when I went back to um, Warframe, because I was just like, I heard so much about Warframe over the years, and I played that in 2014 when I first got my PS4 and then it was like 2018 or something it was one of the, whatever the um, the run up to their last massive expansion was and I watched an interview with the devs and I was like oh my god this thing has come on so much I'll go back on my old account um, and obviously that game was overhauled or whatever but it was one of those things where I fired it up and I immediately had like 50 pop ups, I'd missed all these different content drops, all these different alerts all these different announcements and I was just buttoning through that stuff for like 10 minutes um, just being, and it was that thing of like I'm so off whatever this treadmill is that you? That obviously most of the players are on. Um, but I definitely agree with that. Sometimes when you go back on a some live service game, there are tons of announcements and yeah. downtime announcements, whatever it is that they've been telling people, that just clog things up.
2: I had the same experience with Warframe, mm. like you said there, you know what I mean? I played that when I first got the PlayStation 4, mm. whenever that launched, and then jumped on okay. a few years later when people were telling me how much has changed, how great it is right now. <clears throat> and I'm sure it was, but mm. it was that impenetrability of it that just kind of like put me off mm-hmm. and it's, it's a shame because it feels like I have personally missed out on so many great games mm. because of that feeling even something like Fallout 76 which I tried to get into mm. now that it is apparently better I was enjoying from a gameplay perspective but it was so overwhelming with the stuff that they added that I didn't know the best route through the game and when you get to the <laughs> point where you have to get up like a game fax thing or you know a wiki page for a game to figure out what's the best What what can you ignore in what you want to engage with? That's when it just feels a little bit too like homework. And again, it's such a shame, man. Yeah,
1: it shouldn't feel like an exam that you didn't realize you were supposed to prep for. And it's like, oh, I I absolutely hate in any game where I have to like go away from it and go and engage with something else. Like, okay, what even? How do I even take the first step towards this? And obviously, live service stuff. It's like here's your dailies, here's your weeklies, here's what you missed, here are the side missions, here's the story content. But you can't unlock that until you've done this. And it's just like, okay, but like, where in here is the meaningful thing? Like, how do I make this actually worth my time how do I zero in on that and I feel like a lot of people I mean clearly in the amount of live services that are shutting down or have shut down already this year um, have similar feelings where it's just like I just can't latch on to this it's like this speeding thing that goes past you Um, but yeah I don't know what the hell they do for live services we did some news on it um, the amount of different services that have um, closed down recently and I just think we had on disk DLC we had microtransactions loot boxes battle passes still going fairly strong but I guess you can't they need to find a different way of monetizing battle passes without necessarily tying it to the idea of constant engagement through a live service model, um, but giving you some sort of reward rollout over time. Kind of like what something like Sifu is doing, Hmm. where it's just like, here are some meaningful new additions and encourage you to come back or whatever. Um, I don't know. They'll need some monetization aspect if we're expecting games to have tails on them. If we're expecting multiplayer components after the shipping window. Although for me, No Man's Sky has proved that it's doable. Yeah. Um. Through sheer unit cost. Although obviously I don't know what the hell how they're balancing the books. But like they've kept going for six, seven years now.
2: In response to the part of the question that asks, you know, what does the industry do in yeah. response to all of these live service games dying? I think the answer is to greenlight more live service <laughs> games. And it's such a shocking reality. And it's a sad reality. But I I just do think that there's a reason why all of these publishers are chasing like the gold standard live service thing. Mm-hmm. And that's because the ceiling on it is so high. The amount True. of money you can make is ridiculous if you get it right. Granted, very few people get it right. Yeah. You know, there, are, there is stuff still going like Warframe, like Warzone, mm-hmm. like uh, Fortnite or whatever, okay, that managed to nail it. But you know, for every one of those examples, there's like a hundred lives service live yeah. that dies. But I think publishers are still willing to take the gamble and we've seen it with Sony buying Bungie and committing to a bunch of live service games with Ubisoft announcing that all their franchises are gonna go to live service. I think all they want is one or two to stick Mm. because if they can sacrifice five or six to get those one or two games, Mm. they know they're set for the next few years. They know they can bring in so Mm. much money. And I think that's the reason why they keep going even though it just means that you have this graveyard of stuff (laughs) that nobody wanted and resources that could have been better used anyway. That's my very cynical take on it.
1: Now, see, for me, I feel like, like I mean, it depends. It's going to depend on the company how many times they can keep gambling like that. Like, I remember that whole thing about Nintendo have so much worth that they could, like, the Wii U was such a catastrophic failure. Like, it had all these, like, ridiculous sales figures, didn't catch on, whatever. And there was something about the amount of wealth that they've built up over, like, 200 years of business, because they go all the way back to when they used to just sell uh, Hanafuda cards. Um, it was like, they could have a Wii U-sized failure every day or something for the next 50 years, right. and they'd still be fine. Like they're they're completely fine, so they could make those gambles. But looking at Ubisoft and how like how much they are like they appear to come across as struggling. Um, I don't know how many more gambles they can take. No. Um, there's also the thing about like the amount of time it takes for a game to come out, where like the average turnaround time is like three to five years. That there are already X number of life service games in development right now that need those components to land, but they'll be landing in. Um, you know, like an audience reception in the future that might hate that stuff. Um, so they're all. I mean, Skull and Bones is not going to work. No. Like <laughs> Suicide Squad's live service stuff, maybe, but I feel like that's another Avengers. I just think it's going to be saved by the gameplay, hopefully. Um, but yeah, I I think they're done personally. I just think that you'll see the dregs of it for a while. It's yeah. like it's like a clogged pipe, and it just needs the rest of it just needs to get out there, and then we'll have whatever the next idea is to try and fleece us going forward. And it'll be it'll be something else. Um, but I don't I don't think it's live service stuff anymore.
2: I hope that's true. I don't think. Ever go away, but I do think, like you said, people uh, companies only have so many gambles mm. in them. In Ubisoft, are all in right now because if they get one hit, that could theoretically True. save them, but if they get no hits, then they're kind of done <laughs> for and they have to pivot entirely. Like, is Assassin's Creed Infinity going to work? I have no idea, it's I a strange it. move. Uh, will the last of us factions work? I think that's got a better, um, you know, chance of, mm. of, of working, but that's also because. Sony, as of yet, hasn't pivoted themselves to be entirely about live service. They're still bolstered by those regular single-player games, whereas Ubisoft is pretty much in a a raft in the middle of the sea going, I'm going to put all of my hopes (laughs) in the live service raft-building enterprise. I don't know where I'm going with this, and hopefully I'll get to some civilization. I feel like... If they just, I mean, Joel said
1: this on one of the pods a couple of weeks ago. It's like, if they just led with something smaller and just, just genuinely do right by people first, you get people who actually just want to say, we want to give you money. Like, like, people say that to Hello Games nearly every time they tweet. Like, can we give you more money because we've already bought the game and you're giving us all this DLC? Like, if they nail that initial component, then you have an active community and maybe you stay away from the term live service. Like, at some point, that's just quite a toxic term. Um, you probably could have something that was more genuinely received, had a nice little community behind it who play it all day long, Um, and who would like to put money into some skin packs or whatever it is. Um, And it's more of an actual relationship between the community and the devs.
2: See, I like that in a sort of Mm. utopian view. I just think from the point of view of these companies, they are kind of like all or nothing. They want all the money, you know what I mean? Mm. And you see something that comes out that's really great and that should be an easy win that fails like Marvel's Midnight Suns. Or the Avengers? Well, I was thinking more something that people like, though. You know uh, what I mean? uh. Something like Marvel Midnight Suns comes out, gets great reviews. People love it. Like, there's a diehard fan base there. But then a few weeks later it's revealed that it's a financial disappointment and for someone like Ubisoft, I imagine they're looking at something like that thinking, what's the point? Yeah, mm. it might win people over in the short term, but they, in their mind, they need those billion dollar <laughs> franchises, they need those mega brands so why even bother doing that if you can make a great game mm. and people still won't care?
1: The thing is, like the, the Ubisoft thing, I feel like they've, they've proven that doing the biggest bet possible has backfired. Like the, the, There's like 12 live service games that have like been uh, shuttered in the last couple of months, and like I said, I don't think there's something like Skull bones is going to prove that model works again. In Midnight Sun's case, it's like interesting because everyone assumed it was going to be a live service and everyone assumed that you were going to be able to buy card packs and have all these microtransactions and there's not any of that in the game. Well, there are, you can buy a premium currency to buy certain costumes, so there is that. But you get the vast, vast majority as part of the unit price as buying in. That game's also phenomenal. I absolutely love Midnight Sun's. Um, And I feel like there probably is a pocket of people in there who absolutely love that game, who would put some money towards a recurrent spending model. It's just that idea of launching with it or when you advertise your game, the marketing coming across as having live service elements like card packs um or whatever those are the things I think that would if you get on top of that your messaging is better it doesn't feel like you're fleecing people up front I still like the the paradigm changing being the thing that it's the upfront that needs to change it's the assumption of being fleeced that needs to be ironed out yeah um, and just being more humble with what you're releasing and not going here's this massive multi-deal multiple year thing and then it just isn't sustainable well
2: this is it as well I mean Correct me if I'm wrong. I am just mm-hmm. picking these off the top of my head, but when was the last time a live service game released that got the same reviews as something like an Elden Ring? You know, it was getting nine out of tens, 10 out of tens, even high eight out of tens. You look at something like- Apex, Back- maybe? Apex, yeah, which yeah. is a success, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you look at something like Back for Blood, which got like, you know- <laughs> like sixes. Lu- yeah, sixes, lukewarm reviews. Mm. The original Destiny, lukewarm reviews. The Avengers, lukewarm reviews. <laughs> all of these lukewarm <laughs> games coming out. Mm. There's nothing- in the live service space, again, off the top of my head, that has that punch that lands with a, you need to play this. It always comes with a lukewarm response and promises that it might get better. Mm -hmm. Nothing in that space so far has, you know, really announced itself as something that I'm going to feel like I'm missing out not playing. It's a weird thing because I feel like the industry saw the likes of um, Steam Greenlight where you could pay to get
1: in on a game's development early and then when, and that's just over time has mutated into this whole like okay what's the barest functional version of a game that we can just get out the door and get people playing and get people spending money on and finalize the storefronts. How many different games have we seen have finalized storefronts where the storefront is immaculate but the actual game doesn't run very well and just get that out the door and and some sort of like weird business meeting is attempting to say you know, oh we'll build the community over time just, just, just get them on on board, just make it work, and I feel like that's the stuff again that has backfired because you're leading with so much stuff that is taking advantage of people's good faith in your product or in, in in your company or whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, does the industry ever get more humble again at this scale? Nah, <laughs> I don't think overall. I think bigger sections of it will be forced, will be forced to become more humble. Um, but yeah, I um. I don't know, man. I just think that the life service thing has, has proven to lose so much money. And even if you're a cold, hard, stack crunching person, um, you just look at the risk, and it ultimately is your capital that's on the line. So I think they'll think of something else. But what the hell that's going to be, I have no idea. No. Like, Because um, they're, obs- they're still obsessed with growth. It still is a capitalistic medium. Um, for the most part, and so obviously in terms of the business stuff. Um, a question from Willie Araya who says, what are our thoughts on the whole Death Valley threat of Activision's Bobby Kodak to the UK Competition and Markets Authority? Um, also, what Switch's Game Boy slash Advance game did you play first? I immediately played Wario Land 3. It's a hell of a shout. <laughs> um, I loved that game as a kid. Um, the Game Boy stuff, what are, you, what are, you, what are your Game Boy thoughts?
2: I, uh, I have a lot of nostalgia for the mm. Game Boy, especially the Game Boy Advance, mm-hmm. but... When you mentioned, Scott, that the Game Boy stuff was coming to the Nintendo Switch online the other night, I got really excited, Uh then looked at the games, realized I'd played none, (laughs) and then didn't get excited, (laughs) which sucks. It's kind of like, I finally understand how you felt when you saw the PS1 lineup on PlayStation Plus. Well. Well, to an extent. Yeah, You just thought, this is underwhelming. This isn't necessarily as good as it could be. I'm sure there are great games on those libraries. Calling Minish cap underwhelming, I'm going to, yeah. I never said Minish Cap in particular. Okay. People say that's really good. You've it been is. telling me it's the most underrated it's Zelda. So good. I just mean, from a purely personal perspective, yes. I wanted to see some like proper naff games on there. <laughs>
1: I am. Um, I bounced off the walls when they said Game Boy and Game. Boy. I couldn't believe they did Game Boy and Game Boy Advance. Um, just in terms of game libraries, because I do love the idea of just having a handheld legacy system. And the more they've plugged into that over time, where now you have NES, SNES, N64, Game Boy, and Game Boy Advance, all just in the palm of your hand. Like that's just a beautiful sentence. Yeah. that I absolutely love it. Um, and yeah, for me, um, the first thing I played was uh, which my which was my first ever Mario. Um, the one on the Game Boy, and I always forget the full name of it. It's like Super Mario Land Two and the Six Golden. Cor- and um, that was my first ever Mario game when I was a kid. So I went back to that, and then just had a, a, a ridiculous amount of nostalgia. You ever have so much nostalgia that you just sit being overwhelmed by it for a bit, <laughs> and you just realize how much of a life you've lived in between the last time you heard that noise or the last time you did a thing. And um, that was me. And then uh, I just went through everything. I mean, I love the like, Minish Cap. Obviously, you've got that version of Mario Land Three. Um, Or Mario 3. Um, I love that they let you tweak the original Game Boy, Game Boy Pocket, or Game Boy Color uh, rendering style. So it's like, it made me really harken for Pokemon. I I really hope they put the original Pokemons on there, uh, red, blue, and yellow. Or green or whatever, um, but yeah. So for me, I, I just freaked out. It was everything, but it was the original, original Mario because um, that was that's a deep cut.
2: When they put on the Planet of the Apes game based on Good the God. Mark Wahlberg movie, yeah. and when they put on uh, those knockoff Spyro games and Crash Bandicoot games and Spider Man Mysterio's menace, Shout that's out. when I'll be on board. Do you know what they, they never mean? Will.
1: They'll never do this because they'll have to do some sort of deal with Disney. But the Game Boy Advance Star Wars Episode Three game was brilliant. It was like a side-scrolling, like really well-animated, pixely... Um, just action platformer thing, and it's so overlooked because it's nothing like the other console versions, Um, but I love that. Um, But yeah, also shout out to Minish Cap. I think we had a question about Minish Cap somewhere further down, but that is hands down the most overlooked Zelda of all time, and it's such a beautiful art style. It's just a gorgeous game, Um, so I would recommend that. In terms of the Bobby Codex stuff, um, we looked up the quote for this before going in because we vaguely saw some headlines about Bobby Codex saying the UK would become a Death Valley (laughs) if the Activision deal didn't go through. Um, He's basically hinging this on the idea that the Activision deal going through is in his eyes, lining up with the idea of it being like a tech forward, a progressive move for tech, for gaming overall. And, you know, if the likes of Cambridge, Oxford, various other universities are also tech focused or progressive places, then this is the best thing. Because if they don't do this deal, then, oh my God, the UK fails as some sort of hub of tech or
2: gaming or whatever. It's insanity. Reading this quote, right, was kind of like when, you know, if you have like a brother or you know, any kind of siblings and you kind of rinse them, you're like, oh, you're an idiot, I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> you're the worst person in the world. And that's fine. But when someone else says it about you, brother, yes. you're like, do not say that ever again. Like, yes. you, you don't get to say that. I get to say yeah, that. Yeah. When Bobby Kotick was in this quote slagging off you know, the state of the economic system in the UK right now, <laughs> he's kind of making sense. You know, we are in a situation right now where everything is a travesty. We the be a lot better. UK government hates the UK citizens. Mm-hmm. Some more than others, absolute nightmare scape to live here at this moment in time. But it's hilarious that Bobby Kotick is like, you know what the remedy to this would be? it's some massive monopolistic deal going through <laughs> because that will save it and turn this death just, valley into silicon valley he's like not wrong with the idea that you know we're in dire straits right now but it's such a manipulative thing in my opinion yes. to say that you know this deal is like the, the bastion of hope that's going to transform the uk into some kind of european leader because it's it's not it's, no, it's, it's not. self it's self-serving its self-interest it, uh, in 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 coming from a nightmare man like him it uh, feels very disingenuous. Yeah, and
1: it's like, and not to like make this into some sort of political podcast, but for me, the problems that come to mind when I think about like governance of the UK are far more relating to human rights or yes. um, infrastructural rights or various things in regards to train lines functioning or just basic decency when it comes to making sure people are warm during the winter yes. or whatever, things like that. It's <laughs> I'd love to know what his uh, internal mental flowchart is of like th- this tech deal, this Call of Duty goes onto the onto Game Pass and somehow that makes my grandma warmer winter like yeah. i just don't know how the hell that's even remotely comparable
2: yeah microsoft owns call of duty therefore the cost of living crisis is actually sound <laughs> and <laughs> people can heat their homes and we're not <laughs> using policy to attra- to attack the most already marginalized people in the country. Get off it, Bobby, so I can get off my own <laughs> soapbox, please. Robert. Um, yeah, we sort
1: of um, saw the headlines for that across the last few days and then checked in for the full quote this morning. It doesn't make sense. Of course, it comes from someone who's one of the most disconnected billionaires on Earth. Yeah. Um, and yeah, maybe there's more to it over time, but I initially we read that and just went, that's one of the stupidest stupidest things that someone of a supposed intelligence could say. Um, next question from Dan, who says, hope we're both doing well. Um, I mentioned that I'm learning to play guitar. So I wonder if uh, they wonder if I have any tips on someone interested in doing the same. Also, how good was that Nintendo Direct?
2: It was really good, Josh. I didn't watch it, man. It was so good though. I was trying to think. I don't think I've ever not because I hate Nintendo. I love a lot of Nintendo stuff. I don't. You can't stand. I just, I just, I just kind of. I don't have that appeal, mm-hmm. for them, man. <laughs> I, I wish I loved them. I really wish I, <laughs> I did. I wish you loved them. It's, it's watching people who love Nintendo is such. It fills your heart full <laughs> of joy because they mark out and they pop so big yes. for like some of the and some announcements that I just, just do not understand stuff. the significance of, yes. but it's just so nice to see people have such fun with it. Remember so, when Kirby
1: could move in 3D?
2: There you go. Oh my God. Like that means nothing to you me. Moved but, up. I, but, but I love that people have just like that yeah. moment to look forward to seemingly every few months. Like the, the fanfare that arises when a Nintendo Direct is announced is palpable. It's just, I'm on the outside of it. It's like the Mario movie. Oh, Funnily enough, oh, another Nintendo thing.
1: The Stained song.
2: You're on the outside looking in I, I'm gonna just agree with you reference
1: on that. Linkin Park's out today but yeah. also um, yeah I think that you did check into see Tears of the Kingdom's latest gameplay stuff I did um, which kind of looks like they're doing a Banjo Kazooie Nuts and Bolts approach where it seems like you can make your own um, vehicles and hovercrafts and whatever it seems like you're gonna be able to get access to a bunch of components and then bolt them onto different structures which I love the idea of that um, I love the idea of like if you think about like Breath of the Wild's core thing was like physics experimentation so it's like how do you sort of bolster that and how do you go beyond I couldn't think what they were going to do with that Um, and I love the idea of you just take parts of the environment and combine them all together and make some weird makeshift mechs that you can then fly around the environment. Um, That sounds really cool I don't know if that's definitely a game feature but that that seems like that's what they're showing off. Um, What did you think of that as the follow up to Breath of the Wild?
2: Man, like for six years almost I've been just wanting more Breath of the Wild Mm. and this looks like more Breath of the Wild but like with fancy new additions I love the kind of nuts and bolts adjacent stuff that you were mentioning there like the the introduction of these vehicles that look like so ramshackle and cool. <laughs> and I love that aesthetic. I like that, you know, obviously you've got high rule, but now it seems like obviously we, we've known this from trailer one more or less that we're going to the sky but we're also going underground it feels mm. like the levels are going to hopefully have literal levels to them with a sense of verticality that you had definitely in the, in the original game mm. but stretching that out even more I thought it looked lush mm. I mean uh, you I know, love the,
1: Link's new design yeah, yeah like the
2: first game was absolutely no slouch and was a real looker but True. the fact that this is on the same hardware you know coming so many years later it does look like it has a visual punch for me mm. uh, you know I'm not all oh. right necessarily massively deep into the Legend of Zelda lore, so Mm. the story side will be something that I experience very fresh and without much context, but Mm. from a gameplay perspective, from a visual presentation perspective, I was looking at it, and whilst it might not be the most mind-blowing trailer in the world, it got me very excited for it, and I can't wait to see more. I do
1: quite like how they're um, playing their cards quite close to their chest. It's almost a double-edged sword, where me and James Dallas were talking about this just afterwards, just saying, like, we both still don't really know what this is. Like, it almost feels like the best expansion of all time or something, because it is reusing so much of the environment and then obviously graphically it's not really a step up it just looks like more Breath of the Wild um, I kind of thought that like, as much as I love the sort of pastoral Breath of the Wild look and it's a little bit cel-shaded kind of thing and um, with certain effects uh, in the environment um, I did think that when he was like up on top of certain rocks looking down at the below I thought that was D-Res to the point of reminding me of Pokemon Sword and I she- uh, sorry Pokemon um, Scarlet and Violet right. where I was just like oh that looks quite muddy and obviously it'll fill in over time but I do love that they show that bit where Link dives off and you get that really it's almost iconic before it's even out of like yeah. him diving and the camera panning right out and everything um, and it just looks really really cool yeah I'm there for the lore like I uh, I hope we get to play Zelda I'm assuming that we'll get to play a Sheik if Zelda does because so- she's falling into something and I'm assuming she'll come out as chic or something there's a whole lot of stuff going on there about ancient uh, magic systems you've got Ganon's corpse doing stuff yeah. there's an evil moon in there ah. which is a bit like Majora's Mask um, which I was just like because you know Tears of the Kingdom is very much uh, the, the Majora's Mask to Breath of the Wild's Ocarina of Time it's a reuse of a lot of those assets and then doing something else with it and Majora's Mask obviously big evil moon changing the time of day and everything and I thought that's what the, what the uh, narration was in the trailer because it showed a big blood moon and I was like oh my god that's one thing they could pull from that we all just kind of accepted as part of the world in Breath of the Wild. Hey, by the way, the moon resurrects everything. For no real reason, it just does. Um, and I guess they could say, hey, there's actually a really evil entity, and if it turns around, there's a face on it or something. Yeah. And it's the uh, it's the Majora's masks uh, moon, maybe they do something like that. Um, so yeah, I watched it, and I was a bit like, that looks cool, that looks promising, but you're holding so much back that I just can't get that excited about it. And then I bo- and then I pre-ordered the Amiibo, and I freaked out about all the uh, potential <laughs> lore stuff, and I was like, no, nah, I am in, like, no, you've got me, Nintendo. Um, so yeah, I thought it was solid overall. I just kind of, I just, I just want more, and I know that they want you to wait. Um, And there's obviously the seventy pound or seventy dollar price tag thing as well. Yeah. Um, Which is a shame. I think that, you know, they've said it's going to be case by case basis. They're obviously just seeing what they can get away with. 70 has quite fastly become the new sort of standard price for premium titles. And I guess through Nintendo's eyes, Zelda is as premium as it gets. So
2: they might as well see what they can get away with. It feels like they've been trying this for years. Yeah, I'm also not defending it as I phrase it. Oh, no, of course not. I think it sucks. Yeah, yeah. it absolutely does. But it's like, you know, living, I don't know what it's like in the US or in other territories, but in in the UK, those prices stay sky high. Yeah. In On your, Nintendo 2, yeah. Yeah. And if you're looking at it getting, you know, Mario Kart A or whatever now, it's still going to be. £50 plus, most likely. (laughs) They're very rarely ever in the sale, so to me, I don't like it, but it's kind of like, of course, of course, we've got this premium release, they're going to knock that price up a little bit, especially when the competition is doing that and getting away with it, Mm. and especially when they know uh, people will buy Zelda. It reminds me, ages ago, when Activision raised the price of Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 for no reason. It was just by like a fiver or maybe a tenner, again in the UK, Mm -hmm. and it was just because they could, because they knew people were looking for into it, and they knew they would get away with it with minimal well, like, backlash.
3: Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just sixty bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince—they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing
1: With uh, in Zelda's case, it was like uh Nintendo, sorry, they said that they've announced like um raises for a lot of the key executives and it's like it's almost exactly because of this price hike. Like it feels like this is because they don't have many other massive triple if any other AAA games for the rest of this year. Um what we class as AAA in regards to the um you know upper echelon of what they're putting out. So it almost feels like this is directly going to them. Like it's this is their new wage coming from this extra ten or twenty dollars. Right. Um but yeah, even third party stuff that's on the eShop as well as other stores will be more expensive on Nintendo eShop. They've always had Nintendo tax nintendo pricing as terms or whatever and it it just always sucks it's just that it's always nintendo and everyone's just like ah you scamps ah whatever it's (laughs) like because yeah you almost can't change it at this point and it but it does just suck um, next question from Alpha Oliver, who says, is Nintendo Switch online worth it for the classic games? If I only play single player games, do I just binge the classic games included from each console and then cancel it if they don't increase the selection like PlayStation Plus and Game Pass? Um, hell yeah. The, you've got, I mean, oh my God, if you go into the, the SNES collection, Super Metroid alone is worth a monthly price point. Um, you've got all linked to the past. If you do N64 stuff, you've got obviously Ocarina of Time, Star Fox is in there. They just added all the stuff on Game Boy. So you've got Minish Cap, like I said. I honestly think there's no comparison. I mean, I, like, to make, if, I, if I'm talking game libraries, Sony ain't even in the conversation. Game Pass is, like, close, but Nintendo's god-tier. Like, <laughs> I, I'm, I can't even pretend that that's not remotely true. Nintendo's first-party library in one place is, there's nothing even
2: close to that. I have no comment on this. <laughs> but I, 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 I'm with uh, this, this this question as well. I just wanted to see your opinion on this, Scott Tilford, because I've also been on the outside yes. wondering whether to take a leap on that extra... Uh, again, yeah, hey. looking in, wondering whether to take the leap to get that extra part of the online because I've always wanted to play those mm. Zelda games, for instance, and there's a lot of other titles on there that I've been interested in, but I've always wondered whether it was worth it is. paying extra. for it. All right, so there All we go. It. I'll pay it for you. Do you, want, do you want some games? Yeah, please. Link to the Past. Yeah. Yeah. I really do want Link to the it's Past. So, you've got it. You can get it. Ocarina of Time. I do stuff.
1: love um, that they put the uh, original Game Boy catalog on the standard Switch Online pricing. So if you want to play um, that original Mario, I forget what else is on that original Game Boy thing, um, but you can't original Tetris, you can go play. Um, stuff like that, you get that as part of the regular Switch Online and the expansion is N64 and uh, Game Boy Advance. Um, which is a nice little thing, I just think as as libraries like for me I'm you're not gonna I can't shake on that. I just genuinely believe that I think that Nintendo's first party is the best stuff we have in gaming, so mm-hmm. whatever. Um, Next question from Lord Kolakanth, who says, what's a gaming trope that lots of people seem to dislike that we enjoy? Oh. Oh, they do say, um, for them, it might be the big, easy spectacle boss at the end of a game. Have your hardest skill check before the finale and then reward me with a flashy, cathartic
2: fight to close out the experience. I massively back that. I love it when From Software does that in particular. Mm. And I know that might be sacrilegious to say because people love, like, the (laughs) final tough battles Uh in those games. But I love it when you can just tool on a final From Software boss after defeating the so-called real final boss that's yeah. the real challenge check, and then you're like nah let's have a big spectacle fight to finish things out. I love that trope. I, I fully no, you agree do with the same.
1: this. I'm thinking because I loved I mean for Elden Ring you know I beat Elden, uh, Elden Beast first time. I had summoned one person in but we both like beat that thing first time and I loved that fight um, and that was really fun. I like the thing that Ko- Koala Kant says here um, where you feel like you've put the time in and it's almost like in a movie you would go up against the final character. I loved the thing in Breath of the Wild um, I'll always remember that again um, because that final boss is quite easy. Yeah. Um, obviously easier the more time you have put into the open world because it just changes the different faces of the fights and stuff. Um. But I will always remember back in 2017 the first time I went through it knowing that was the last thing I had to do and then being like right I'm going to sit here I'm going to make a campfire in the game I'm going to brew all my potions I'm going to make all my recipes I'm ready and then going for that final fight and obviously the music that kicks in when you go to Hyrule Castle at the end it's just so gallant and like you know it's such a hero's finale and then you just get to stomp the final boss yes. um, and it's like there's two different forms but it's like for me that was perfection like it was absolutely spot on and like I yeah I, I like if they can because I don't like that whole thing where something happens and it just wipes you out in one hit or something happens it's lots of that stuff in RPGs where it's just like oh by the way you were weak to fire and now you're just dead and it's like well I guess I'll do all the cutscenes and do everything again like it does take the wind out of the sails a bit sometimes
2: oh man I'm trying to think of what else I enjoy on that level I think that they've absolutely nailed it there <laughs> uh, for me I don't even know if people hate this but I mm-hmm love it when a game pretends it's over, and then it is not oh, okay. over, and it hits you with a fake credits, mm-hmm. and you know it's just a waste of time, really, because <laughs> no one's actually believing that the game is finished. Yeah, yeah. and yet every single time, I, 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 I give it a little wink, give it a little nod, mm-hmm. and I think, what a lovely little trope. And that, we're uh, back in the action. There's more game to go.
1: That one in Ragnarok where uh, Thor revives you from your own menu. Oh, that's so good, cool. yeah. so good, so like, I was trying to think of other uh, gaming tropes that people seem to dislike that you enjoy. There's not that many, I don't think, in terms of like. I don't know, like, are we general plot point stuff? But I can't think of that many that, um, that I gravitate towards.
2: I'll tell you one, and Go this on. wasn't the question, but I just want to talk <laughs> about it. One that I people don't enjoy and uh-huh. I also don't enjoy. It's, like, the, th- the rule of three Thing interesting when you need to do something three times and you need to fight against three waves of enemies that's so sure the to nintendo go, rule yeah, <laughs> yeah to the next wave in why i hate this in particular is that for over a decade now since the original deadpool game mm-hmm. uh that's the first time i remember it being called out in meta textually you know commented on that yeah right, of course right. we're gonna do this three times and then we're going to move on because once you kind of understand that that's what's happening you can't unsee it it's like it's like you're near at the end of the matrix being able to see all of the code literally in this case i know i'm gonna have to do this three times Mm -hmm. and there's no surprise to it and i just don't know why developers maybe it's just so good maybe it works for people who don't know exactly how this thing has been structured uh, that they'll never change it but Mm -hmm. once man once my eyes were open to that kind of game design Mm -hmm. pillar I can never unsee it.
1: Have you seen? Um, is it Jim Carrey's The Number Twenty Six? Is it
2: Number Twenty Six? I think it's the Number, 23, number yeah. Twenty Three. Number Twenty Three. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think of it that way because the the rule of three is a whole wider psychological human thing. There's a there's a weird. Um, I can't think of I can't pull any specific headlines about this but I've read about this in the past that like the number three or three attempts at something or a time span of three days or whatever three applies to us in lots of weird ways in right. terms of human psychology where if you're beginning a journey the first day is the hardest the middle well you're already halfway there and, and the third you're almost finished it's like there's always it's why, like trilogies tend to work there's a whole psychology human psychology about why threes work it's interesting. Um, and it's yeah and I think that's why it works I think that someone happened upon that um, obviously just in game design and there's something satisfying about hitting something three times or whatever. Obviously, I agree with you that it's quite tiring in in 2023, Um, but I think it's there because there is that wider sort of uh, attachment to a, a set of three things yeah. for whatever reason. Feels right. Yeah, somehow it kind of, it kind of feels right. Um, question from PG Quips who says, UBP, UBP, which I didn't do at the start, but the UBP, I'm an Xbox player, more than a PlayStation player, but recently the PlayStation Plus essential monthly games have been stellar. This month it's Mafia, Definitive Edition, Evil Dead, and Oli Olly, Olly World. Is Sony's service starting to rival Game Pass? I still refuse to pay for demos, though. <laughs> <laughs>
2: for the child. You know what? Fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. I will say, especially on like, that PlayStation Plus essential tier, if we're talking purely about those monthly. Mm. The games. I think Sony and PlayStation has been beating games with gold or whatever it was for Oh my god, now. I forgot that existed. Absolutely. I know yep. they focus massively on Game Pass but I do like the idea that Sony has had these monthly games that have been just hitting it out of the park recently and this month's in particular, man. I love the fact that more people are going to get to play Evil Dead the game. Mm. Mafia Definitive Edition is one of the best remakes maybe ever totally. and Scott Tilford's beloved Oli Oli World <laughs> is finally getting you know introduced to a new audience. I think it's probably the strongest. Month they've had in all in, in ages, oh and they've had some pretty strong months recently. Yeah, man. The thing is, like, I, I
1: like vehemently hate the top t- the top premium tier, I think it sucks, but I love Essential. I think that's that's where you want to be. Like, that is an, a, a phenomenal value for money. Like, that does rival the thing that we've said for years, well, Game Pass being the best value for money in gaming, and um, just because of getting tiles like this, Oli Oli World, I'll recommend on the audio alone, even though I do love the way that it plays. That game's soundtrack is like up there, I'll just say it with like a Vice City or a Hotline Miami or whatever. If you like lo fi and synth stuff, it's perfect effect. Um, but yeah in terms of the overall um, the way that they're putting stuff out I guess this tends to get a lot more headlines because it's like it's titles people know of whereas Game Pass's whole thing or the way that Game Pass is curated is kind of assuming you will comb over everything and then just saying well here's an immortality or here's a signalis or whatever Um, and getting people into the smaller stuff I feel like their directives are a little bit different which is nice I feel like they can't necessarily compete in the same place otherwise they would both be you know talking to 2K about securing the Mafia uh, Definitive Edition for that month so they kind of have different
2: Approaches, yeah, 100%. But I think, yeah, like, like you're right, like, there are slightly different approaches to it. I just do like that Sony haven't been skimping on like the big hitters. No, you know, this month's is great. I remember a few months ago when we got was it Yakuza 7, uh, like a dragon, yes. and we got Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2, you know, like really great games, oh. Final Fantasy 7 or whatever it has been in the past, mm-hmm. and it's just. They, they've hit a nice stride with it, I think, and it makes people not only want to get those monthly games, but then look into the entire library mm. that's on there now and realize that, yeah, a lot of people might have already played these titles, but if you hadn't, if you couldn't afford them, mm. what a great service it is. You know, I'm, we're very fortunate enough right now that we can buy games, we get sent a lot of games, mm. so the financial burden isn't there. Mm. I, I keep saying it, man. If I had Game Pass and I had PlayStation Plus in my early days or into my <laughs> university days oh i would have my 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 variety my diversity when it came to my game tests would have like been exponentially better than it was than having to figure out that, uh, you know, a lot of Japanese games are great in my (laughs) early 20s. You know what I mean? You have all of that available to you right away, and it's just such a broad spectrum of really excellent titles. Yeah, man. I
1: look forward to the conversations that people will have who are, like, teenagers right now. Hopefully they are delving into stuff. Just the sheer curiosity of having that library in front of you. It's like, you might as well try something. And the conversations that will come from the game critics of 10, 15, 20 years in the future, um, having grown up with these libraries in front of them, and like you said, like not having to worry about the financial side of it, because you do have those things in front of you. I think in terms of placing Plus I wish they would just conflate premium and extra or just have one maybe if if they want to have a basic if they really want to charge you for just playing online have that and then have everything else as like just some big game library because I feel like they got a bit greedy with like splitting it a little bit too much and then obviously I've said loads that I think the premium stuff is just crap so like the essentials tier I think that's what you would like lean into and maybe you, you just put the PS1 games on there mm. um, and you just go here's your one monthly fee and that lets them compete with Game Pass that lets them sort of take the headlines of like oh my god it's um, what Mafia Definitive Edition but also it's Tekken 3 and it's like you've immediately just dominated that afternoon's discourse like yeah. on social media or something um, as opposed to c- continue to trying to split them which I don't think is working very well, to me. Another no comment on that one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> next question from Jack Jingle, who says, just want to thank you, sorry, me and James Douse and Josh for introducing them to video game essays. Currently listening to a Final Fantasy ten deep dive across 10 different episodes, which also inspired me to replay Final Fantasy seven again on the Switch, which I've played once again for 25 years, <laughs> uh, which is mad. Well, all, Godspeed, uh, reintroducing yourself to Final Fantasy. That um, I always just love, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Which I'll recommend to you.
2: Yes, well, one, one day Scott Taylor. But now that I've got the uh, PlayStation One hooked up, I'll definitely do it. <laughs> and honestly, if there's a video, a good video essay yes. tied to a game, that's that's like encourages me to play it more than anyone's recommendation. And mm. you know how highly I hold your recommendations Thank in you. regard. But Same. to have that extra bit of hate to say it, content Mm. to go with it, to get into a nice bubble with is always excellent. (laughs) I mean, the reason I played through all of the God of War games was because I saw Noah Caldwell-Gervais did an entire series retrospective, and I literally watched his review of all of those games which was like f- four hours long, five hours long. Right. And then I played through all of the games and then I watched it again <laughs> <laughs> with the added context. It's just, uh, the, the world of video game essays is, is incredible. And like we said on that podcast a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. such a great way if you're feeling in a bit of a gaming and you're not know, inspired to like get inspired because like they say, yeah. you know, it's, it's a great way to get that inspiration and to view even games that you might have played to death in a potential new light. We can shout some some out as well. I mean, I love like Super
1: Bunny Harp. I uh, I look, I go to Matt McMuscles' is what happened thing quite a lot because he just does really good research, um, looking at like certain titles that notably fell on their face, like Sonic two thousand six or Dino Crisis three or whatever, um, and just goes and talks to the devs and gets that rounded picture of what happened to those things. And yeah, Noah caldwell gervais uh, Jordan Anderson, I think is someone else, Joseph Anderson. Joseph Anderson. Um, I forget who else I have had recently because I have a lot of people on rotation, but Super Bunny Hop definitely stands out to me. I don't know if you yeah. want to shout anyone out in
2: particular. I love, like I said, No Caldwell mm-hmm. Uh Jacob Geller, I think, is excellent doing mm-hmm. some of the best stuff, and Tim Rogers with Tim action Rogers, button. yes, so good. Tim Rogers' stuff like literally changed my entire life. <laughs> uh, if you're a fan of Final Fantasy video yep. essays. Watch his Final Fantasy VII remake review yep. and the uh, translation that he did for the original Final Fantasy VII. Yep, yep, yep. Both excellent. But I recently watched his six-hour-long review of the PS1 game, Boku no, Boku no Yatsumi, I think it's okay. called. I uh, tap out on that length one oh, in one go, but you, you love that. I, I love that stuff, man, because the way he does them, it's it's such like a personal thing. If mm. you're going in just wanting an objective game review or anything like that, you're not really going to get no, it. You're no. going to get that. Part of it is that, but it's mostly inspired about experience and context and culture and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was watching him do this review of this Japanese game that isn't even translated that I have no idea. Uh, I had never heard about before and will never get the chance to play it, like I said, because I don't speak Japanese uh-huh. and I can't read Japanese and it's not translated and it's going to cost a lot of money to import it. Right. But I was watching him talk about it, talking about his own experiences living in Japan. He you know, uh, uh, getting information about how, uh, you know, integral to Japanese culture the idea of summer is. And then it goes on a really personal journey that as soon as I stopped it, I picked up a pen and started writing myself. Nice. You know what I mean? It was one of those really good, inspiring moments where not only did it inspire me to want to play more video games, it inspired me to want to make stuff that I'm also passionate about, you know what I mean, and yeah. make my own stuff, not in the same style, but you know, do something personal myself. I think that ah, the power of them are really good, really good. <laughs> no, I can only, I
1: can only back Tim Rogers stuff. I yeah, I came into him, came into him, came onto him, Very both good, good both um, good, um, with the Final Fantasy Seven, um, the trans, the series of translation videos. But I also knew him back when he was doing Kotaku stuff. And um, but yeah, massive shout to all those people. Um, overall, next question from Richard Smith, who says, with Minish Cap finally being available for a wider audience, it's the most overlooked Zelda i I've told you that that's go. what I've been saying. I believe it. Are there any overlooked games that you hope get a chance going forward? Another mine another one of mine would be Jet Set Radio Future. Um I guess this is just the idea of adding stuff to monthly libraries. What do you think they should go out their way to anyone to go out their way to bring back?
2: Man, well, I've been playing through Star Wars Episode 1 The Phantom Menace Ooh. so they should definitely bring that back. I've been back. Playing
1: through Episode 3, that's pretty good.
2: That's it. A lot I like of that. Over- underrated sorry, um Star Wars movie tie-ins just games. movie tie-ins in general, yeah. Yeah, just get more of that licensed stuff. Mm-hmm. Think like I said, I, I'm sure if you played those Nintendo Game Boy games mm-hmm. You will love the library that they've got, but I, I'm, I have such nostalgia for the crap um, movie tie-ins like Planet of the Apes, uh-huh. and that's the reason why I loved and popped so much for them getting Toy Story 2 and the PlayStation. I Plus, know that uh, was collection. Lush. More stuff like that, I think. Simpsons Road Rage. You know, everyone talks about Simpsons Hit and Run, mm. but give me Simpsons Road Rage. Give me Simpsons, <laughs> skateboarding.
1: Simpsons skateboarding. Those games ruled. I uh, there was a Game Boy Advance uh, version of Samurai Jack that I absolutely loved. I'm just like there was a, there was a little thing. Yeah. On the Game Boy Advance, it sort of had this perfect nexus of like it was it was obviously after you know the the death of 2D games for the most part in the mainstream. Obviously, it was after the SNES and the Mega Drive, and then it was like all, full speed ahead with polygonal stuff. And then when the Game Boy Advance dropped, it was like a return to like the color palettes of like the SNES and like the mid 90s of uh, 2D artwork. And I love like the, the game that everything the Game Boy Advance brought to the table because it was like the perfection or the perfected um, approach to what they were trying to do with all the hardware back on the SNES or the mid 90s uh, various consoles in the mid 90s. So like you got things. Things like a beautifully animated Samurai Jack game or like I said that later on that episode 3 game that sort of dropped alongside the movie there are so many really cool pixel gems in there yeah. that like maybe we'll never get um, another lease on life just because they are tied to a certain license but they just move so well they're so responsive they're so immediately satisfying
2: I've got another one of that yes. I want to throw in as well um, because I cannot believe this is still not on backwards compatibility for mm-hmm. the Xbox but John Woo's Stranglehold oh. it, I've been wanting to pl- replay that game for years <laughs> at this point and it's an annoying I don't have an original I don't have an Xbox 360 sorry mm. that I can just plug in and play it so please fail 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 <laughs> do me a favour and Mr. put Spencer on backwards compatibility or even better make a
1: remake or a sequel oh, the thing I remember something about that because it obviously it, it ties into Hard Boiled and it was uh, Charlie and Fat and everything so yeah. I, I remember some vague articles um, coming to the forefront of my mind about how they couldn't do anymore, and it was tied to some licensing deal Uh, Maybe some song that was in there or something. Um, Next question from Schmans Schmilliamson, who says, what feature gets you to replay games the most? I figured out mine is time, as in the Resident Evil 2 remake, it's my first ever Platinum. I was sucked in trying to go quicker and quicker, replaying the Dead Space remake, but it's not doing doing it for me like the first play did.
2: Ooh. Uh Ooh. That's really interesting. Mm. The time mechanic... Um, funnily enough, was something that I I used to hate. I hated that Dead Rising was built around, like, a time limit. Oh, like, actual timers, Yeah, 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 Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Or even, like like you said, the more informal Mm trophy-chasing time limits, where it's not, like, enforced in a gameplay perspective, but you know it's there, and you're trying to hit a certain uh, threshold. But yeah, like, I used to hate Time stuff, Same. and now I'm way more open to it. Now I love Dead Rising and Destruction.
1: Play neon white,
3: Josh. Maybe
2: one day you'll ah. love it. But like the, the Dead Rising thing makes you replay the game because you you unless you've got like a walkthrough or you're mm. the best gamer in the world, you're not going to see all the events in that game because you know you'll be doing you'll be exploring, you'll be mm-hmm. getting taking damage, you'll be doing one quest over another quest, and you will inherently fail some of the cases that you get in Dead Rising because mm-hmm. you don't have enough time. And, you, and when they run out, as long as it's not a main mission, you know, the game just keeps going. Mm-hmm. So it encourages you to replay the game, try to maximize your time, and uh, do it that way. So I will shout out briefly... Um, that whole mechanic because mm. I think they implemented it really well In that franchise kind of lost a little bit of its identity when it did move away from it and then True. you realize how much of an integral part of its, you know, clockwork-like structure Mm. that actually was. Mine's just like, yeah, when I took the question to be like replaying
1: entire games is what I I thought they meant. But yeah, like timed mechanics, obviously if there's something like, oh, you just need to shave off a few seconds. I mean, in Demon Slayer, I'm doing all the optional challenges in that, which is just get higher uh, grades for certain fights. And it's like, but for me, honestly, it's always just going to come down to gameplay. Like the last game that I absolutely loved playing and just wanted to rinse was um, Sifu because I just love the combat system in that. And it was like one of those feelings where like when you finish a game, you hit credits and you just know that you're a better player by the end of that. You've got those systems in you and it's like, I need to make the most of this while I can. Also, I'm loving like the feel of it or something. Um, Something, because I tried restarting Elden Ring as soon as I finished it and going all the way back to a new character. I know you can do new game plus, but I was like, I'll just do a new build thing. Um it just didn't, it, it was too much. It was just like, oh, I'm losing too much here. Whereas in Sifu, you can just go back to that first level and just absolutely wipe everybody out because you're perfect with the, uh, the parries and all the different moves and everything. Um, so for me it's always gameplay just f- do I need more of this have I have I sort of exhausted it um, and something like Demon Slayer like that entire story mode and the arcade uh, versus stuff has taken me beautifully into the multiplayer where now I can kind of ha- hang I can kind of hang with the people who are in the multiplayer space as well
2: yeah that's an interesting something one. like that yeah, yeah I like
1: that it depends, it depends um, for me like how much how gameplay forward a game is are you playing for the story are you just trying to see something through like yeah. I'm not going to be going back through God of War Ragnarok for example yes um, like that yeah, thing yeah. was like one and done in the best way possible I don't necessarily want to go through that
2: For me, it is more like the love of something that it does well that I just need more Mm. of, whether that is the story or whether it's mechanics. I've never really been a guy for new game plus modes even when I mm. replay games that I've finished, I'll normally just play them again because I like the idea of the progression. Unless yeah. I'm going for like a really hard difficulty. Depends assessment. what you get
1: on the new game plus, I guess. I was just, as I mentioned, Ragnarok as well. Me, and you both did everything in that game, like the Muspelheim yeah. trials and like that whole crater section. Like that was like a nice excuse to go mop everything else up.
2: Yeah, one hundred percent. Like w- those games are so big that you all almost feel like you have you the fill of them mm. when you finish them. And there's a story pull there. Mm. But sometimes when I'm looking at replaying games like Ragnarok, and I I, I I have an inability to you know, ignore things, even if I've done them once. So I know if I play Ragnarok again, mm. I'll put another 50 hours in and do it 100% <laughs> yet again. Death Stranding. And it's kind of, yeah, totally, and it's like weighing up. Is the story worth that? Because mechanically mm. it wouldn't be worth going through again for me right now. Mm. But something like Death Stranding, that was mechanically so satisfying that going through that a second time Made it feel like a different game because yeah. once you've mastered those systems, you approach that title in such a different way from a like a veteran perspective because mm-hmm. you've been there, you've done it, you've got the, now an understanding of the most um, efficient route through the game that it's mm-hmm. satisfying to kind of do it as a pro rather than someone learning it for the first That's time. True. That's what I would agree. What you were saying about like you know Sifu or mm-hmm. Dark Souls or Sekiro or anything like that, where the first time through you're kind of learning, in the second time through you're mastering. Yes. I like that. The distinction.
1: I like the feeling as well of going back to areas that you were once like you know, that were once quite hard, and then you for whatever reason you've just you've you've just gotten so much better that you can just cakewalk through those places. There is a real satisfaction to that, like you said, it's like mastering the the game, the environment, or whatever. For me, it's like the more cinematic the game, the more sort of belabored the cutscene direction or the pacing. I, I just it's like rewatching a TV sh- series straight away, and it depends what it is, but like um, I'm hardly ever going to do that. Like it's so designed right. in a way to be taken in like one time. Um, like it's always a bigger deal I find for the average person to sit down and rewatch like a Game of Thrones or something with like 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 weightier, more mature kind of pacing to it. Um, I just think it depends, but like something some games, especially Sony stuff, um, for me they're not that appealing as replays. I know like you went back through Last of Us two a few times, um, but it's just Last of Us one as well. Like I've played through Last of Us one a good handful, but i never went back through all of Last of Us two. I did all of Ellie stuff again, yeah, and then I got to Abby and I was like, oh god, I just don't care. Like I'm only just I'm only doing this to just try and do it all again. But I did a, li- a couple of hours of Abby and I was like, nah, I can't do all this again.
2: Interesting, because The Last of Us 1 Mm. is my most replayed game ever. That's insane. I played through that thing, you know, maybe not uh, that high of a frequency compared to some other people, but I played that, you know, 10, 11, 12 times. At this point, over the years, in various forms, you know, the the remaster, the the remake that came out, Mm -hmm. and that is a story pull. Like, the gameplay is great, of course, but I'm there because I want to re-experience that story because I think Mm. the story's so good. I do love just being with Ellie and Joel.
1: Yeah. I do just love being... Around them, watching them doing f- their thing,
2: and for me, it is like rewatching mm. a TV show because it feels like bite-sized. It's just like twelve to fifteen hours, probably quicker if you know what you're doing, which right. at that point you definitely do. Mm. And while I've played The Last of Us Part Two three times and enjoyed them every single time, that game is less inviting to replay. Not because I think it's worse. i If you know me, you know I like that yeah. actually better than the first game, but because it's 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 got that bigness to it it's mm. got that like length to it in a similar way to god of War Ragnarok where yeah it feels like more of a of of of, of a of a project mm. to kind of like sink your teeth into whereas last of Us one is is weighty but it's also got that brisk pace it's like it's very me, welcoming to return to.
1: No, totally. I think it's like, yeah, for me, it's just like what is the time investment? Like, if it was some big like eight to ten minute song, and it goes on a whole journey, and it's like a big emotional someone's like ratching their guts out about a certain topic or whatever, I'm probably not just going to go, I'll have that again, like three more times. Like, it's rare, I'll sort of save that, whereas I would replay something a bit shorter. So, yeah, I think it just depends, but for me, it's it's always just going to be gameplay. Like, is something more and addictive enough, and have I exhausted the systems? Um, and do, do I genuinely just feel like I want more of it when I hit credits? And other systems to let you go back. Like Hi-Fi Rush, when you hit the credits on that, um, you unlock a whole end game thing where it unlocks like customization and all these different goals that you can go into and do in the levels. Um, and if you want more of that gameplay, they're like, asking you to go and they give you goals, like go unlock these um, clothing components and everything. So I think that's, like, that's an intelligent way to do it. Although personally, I would have preferred the character creator way back at the start. Yeah. Um, just to sort of like have the the, the different looks to chai as the game rolled out.
2: I think the only time I've gone back and completed a game on one of those, you know, um, alternate modes that you get after beating it the first time mm. was Max Payne 3 with the New York oh, Minute what a mode, shout. which is really good, because yeah, I yeah. just wanted to play that game over and over again. I think I would have played it about five times, regardless of that. <laughs> but that's the only time I recall you know, seeing one of those modes and thinking, yeah, I can do that. Mm. Because for as much as I love The Last of Us Part 1 and Part 2, you know, they have a bunch of different filters or gameplay modifiers that you can add on if you want to replay mm. it, and I love that they're there. But that stuff necessarily isn't for me. If nope. I'm replaying a game, it's for that. Core experience oh, for I that to, story.
1: That, um, the stuff, that Na- the modifiers that Naughty Dog put in their games. I love slow motion. I think I've said that in some chatty or something at some point, some video um, in Uncharted because they let you pick encounters. I like think Last of Us 2 lets you pick encounters and then yeah. part 1 lets you do it. I love just going into um, those games, going into super slow motion and just having slow motion fights with all the slow motion audio, mainly because you can drink in the animation fidelity. And I love just seeing just how well put together everything is. And yeah. it's like, oh, so like that all those blades of grass move when that person goes over here and whatever. And I I just, I just love stuff in slow-mo.
2: I think there are games where you feel full when you mm. beat them and there are games that leave you want them more and one isn't necessarily better than the other. No. But for me, again, Uncharted 4, like you were saying, was one that left me wanted more to the point where I went through it again and then was just replaying those combat encounters yeah. because there are so many different ways you can approach them depending on the difficulty, depending on modifiers like slow-mo or whatever, mm-hmm. that it was just fun to kind of play a bite-sized version of these really polished mechanics yeah. and just see just like kind of omit the story and see what you can do in it from a gameplay perspective
1: i feel like as well um you know uncharted 4 or uncharted in general concerns get in its own way in regards to how good the combat is like i feel like uncharted 1 it was like chasing cover systems and it was just like a boring quite a standard boring approach to a cover thing and then with 2 3 and 4 have like what if a platformer had gun mechanics and had combat and you can go around people and, and jump over and get the drop on them and stuff. And like, once you start thinking like that, it was like, oh my God, this opens it up so much, but they're they're not like combat focused games. You'd like, it's almost like a third of the whole thing. So, especially in Uncharted 4, I would finish Encounters and be like, I just want to do that again. So I'd pause and restart checkpoints just so I could do that again. Um, and it's like you can only really enjoy the combat or mainline the combat after you finish it and you pick those levels over and over again so it's like again it's all gameplay it's all um, gameplay systems and like feedback and whatever um, but yes this has been the Entitled Bandit Podcast I was going to keep going until I realised that we've done over an hour Josh Brown do one more go on do one more he said um, as an actor said to a Bishop and do one more from Tom who says Banjo-Kazooie Nuts and Bolts was underappreciated and a great game in retrospect it was cool seeing the devs take such a risk and trying something new and Jules's newest tweet made me want to Uh, Play it again. Um, History, uh, Jules' Street was in reference to Legend of Zelda, Tears of the Kingdom, and the weird ramshackle things. That are in that game. And yes. I think we talked about it. Did we talk about that before we Wait, started recording?
2: No, we did before we started recording. I was yes. going to say, is there something in the air? Because in the office <laughs> yesterday, you were talking to me how great of an idea this was yes. in that game, though obviously the game itself wasn't really well received at the time.
1: No, Nuts and Bolts was like hated at the time because it's like a it's like a platformer, but it's mo- mostly about customizing vehicles. I thought it was a cool idea, but at the time I was in a Banjo fan because I didn't have my N64 um, and I just saw people just hating on it. Um, but yeah, as soon as I saw that little weird vehicle car thing in the Tears of the Kingdom trailer... I was like, that's so nuts and bolts. That's so literally thrown together um to get you somewhere. And then me and Jules like he messaged me on the next morning. He was like, Are they doing nuts and bolts? Are they influenced <laughs> by nuts and bolts? Um so I feel like a lot of people are just using that as the comparison point because there's not that many games that let you just throw stuff together. Um, in a mainstream sense, they got that big. Um so yeah, Tom just says, um, you know, is this am I mad for thinking this, or are these the kind of risks that we want to see devs take? Um, yeah, massively. I feel like it makes total sense in Tears of the Kingdom's case because it just is an expansion of all the um you know, experimental physics-y stuff that you had before. But yeah, I miss physics in games. I miss... I was playing um, Immortals Phoenix Rising a couple of years ago and a lot of that game's puzzles are just sort of like punch through this wall to get something behind it or swing something all the way around the level so at the right length so it hits something and I just like the idea of playing with physics I feel yeah. like we got away from that because so many devs um, Kojima talked about when he was making Metal Gear Solid 2 that they don't want to just use Havoc Physics they want to have specific um, like canned animations or specific motion captured animation and that gets away from Ragdoll and you get stuff in between where like Rockstar have the Rage Engine or the, there was that Euphoria Engine for Force unleashed where it's ragdolling to a point and then maybe an arm will and one of the MPs like a stormtrooper's arm will grab a corner of something to try and latch on but the rest of the body's flailing around and it's like I like that. I like the idea of playing with that. Um, but I just miss physics. I want to be able to chuck stuff around more.
2: Playing you know the one redeeming part for me of the Callisto protocols gameplay mm. was that you could pick up the monsters wholesale and just launch them at <laughs> a wall. when you upgrade that ability, they just explode when they hit a surface, which is excellent. They just explode. And it's also the beauty, like you were saying, I mean, I love physics in games, especially when you can use them in creative ways, but it's why Breath of the Wild was so enjoyable to me. Even the shrines, I love that all of the shrines, you know, they have a way that they're supposed to be completed, Mm. but you don't have to follow that. If you can manage to jerry-rig, you know, a solution to these puzzles, (laughs) the game will let you, because it's all working on the same logic, and even if it's not the most Honorable, honorable way, perhaps, to get through some of those puzzles. Mm. It feels like you've almost cheated the system, and it's a rare joy in video games to feel like you've cheated the system with mm. how scripted everything has to be in order for you to not just break everything. I love... But it, always, it always is satisfying. I love that feeling um, in Breath of the Wild where they, they sort of do...
1: Tell you to do this near the wait There's a there's a whole like there's a camp of like uh, bokoblins, like down down a hill, and you're so you've just got the bomb thing. So it's like, well, I can just roll this down the hill into them, and then and then detonate it from afar. But then once you start thinking like that, it's just ways of chaining all those different things together, um, or setting some trees on fire, which make them freak out, which make them run into another explosive or whatever. And it's just like yeah, like, the way that Breath of the Wild makes you think, like you said, you, you've been waiting so long for just more of that game. Um, that thought process is just so seldom especially these days where it's just sort of how do we make sure that every single player gets the the specific experience um, and making it more on rails whereas like I will take a million more Breath of the Wilds or a million more Immortals Phoenix Risings over the game design ethos that underpins Uncharted where it's like run over here and and shoot this one guy and then go over here and oh my god you missed a step and you've got to do the whole thing again like I I just I wish physics stuff came back We, we grew up in the golden age of Havoc physics and like everything Across the two thousands, and I remember like Hitman, you would shoot a dude, and they go flying, and they still kind of do some of that now, but not as much. Maybe because i more a they could do,
2: complete freak like i said but i used to play the level of i think it was hitman blood money where mm. it was a sort of suburban environment where it was like a party going on i yes. used to go in there with um. those two pistols and just kill everyone which is not the point of a hitman <laughs> game but the ragdoll physics was so ridiculously so over the top that you would hit people with these two pistols and they it was like you were playing out with quentin tarantino movie like <laughs> it was django and shane yeah you were, people were getting shot once and going flying and flying was over just the horizon so satisfying in and of itself I will take that stuff um, literally
1: like I said hopefully more physics going forward I kind of thought that more studios would take that stuff on board after Breath of the Wild but I feel like because it's Zelda it's almost so untouchable um, and that's why I always champion uh, Immortals Phoenix Rising because although it is literally Ubisoft going okay what worked let's do that um, they do it way better than most um, and that game's DLC falls apart but the main game is really solid
2: I think that's a good point though and not mm. to keep going on and we'll, we'll wrap this podcast right now uh, but <laughs> well, i a lovely I, Friday I think the reason we don't have more of it is just because it's hard to do like yeah, yeah. This Zelda gets it so right, but there have been great games that I've played, like Metal Gear Solid Five mm. or Dishonored or a lot of arcane games, to be honest, mm. where you do have that freedom, but the game isn't quite, for my money, as uh, good it's encouraging you to experiment because in mm. Metal Gear Solid 5, for all of the tools I had at my disposal, I knew the most efficient way to get through encounters because a lot of the encounters were similar. Mm. So I was just relying on the same few gadgets over and over again. True. And that is, yes, definitely a me problem, but I didn't have that with Zelda because of maybe the level design of the encounter design mm. Uh, or maybe it was a more robust understanding of the tools at my disposal, but I always felt like I was experimenting in that game, yeah. and I do think that is something uh, to be said about like the, the the developers and their you know ability to implement those mechanics. Mm. It's a little bit like what
1: um, Far Cry used to have, like Far Cry Two, is like set a fire over here, and all the NPCs will run away from it or whatever, and uh, and just like ways of sort of setting up ambushes, like in them um, Far Cry Instinct, where you could sort of go on the ground and then look up on your you get on your back and you could shoot up through cabins to shoot dudes who are above you. Um, there's ways of like figuring it out yourself even if you're even if the, the devs always knew what possibility you would do at least you felt like you were exploring a space um, yeah I guess we'll see how uh, experimental Tears of the Kingdom is and whether it literally is not the nuts and bolts spiritual sequel because there's <laughs> so few games that do that um, for now though this has been the Entitled Banner Podcast the UBP the UBP 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 yes joined by Josh Brown and myself I, to get, I don't know this isn't the usual ending usually I say something like that yeah. and then Jules says come find us over on Twitter because i i'm at slash lp89 jules is at retro j with a zero you are josh Brune double o yeah to feedback on whatever thoughts you have on any of the madness that we've said uh, this week
2: <laughs> thank you ha- thank you for having me and a massive th-
1: yeah massive thank you for, to you for diving in and we'll catch you next time bye-bye goodbye <laughs>